0: morning, church. Let's stand together and let's worship our Lord this morning. Faithful in the sanctuary, faithful in the storm, face is worthy in my song If the drums I feel, my soul will keep on singing. everyone is doing well. Thank you for joining us this morning. If this is your first time, welcome. Uh, we're going to continue our worship time this morning. Uh, but before we do, can we just close our eyes this morning? I know we talk about rest at Journey a lot and how important rest is in our lives. And this next song that we're going to sing it talks about Leaving the rest of whatever we have in the Father's hands and putting our rest in the Father's hands. Can we just sing that bridge this morning? I will rest in the Father's hands. Leave the rest in the Father's hands. In the Father's hands leave the rest in the Father's. Any doubts, any fears, just leave it this morning. I will rest in the Father's hands all oh, my pain, Lord. I need the rest in the Father's than you this morning. doubts you take our fears and when we bring our own agendas Lord help us to know that you are enough for us that you are bigger than what we place you in Lord you're bigger than our fears you're bigger than our hurts you're bigger than our struggles bigger than our burdens them at your feet this morning, we lay them in your hands this morning, Lord, that you will take them, and you will use them for your glory. We love you, Lord. We love that we always get a second chance, and they're always waiting for us to come home. We love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. (music) you <music> Understand stand me so i throw all my cares before you my doubts and fears don't scare You were—you're bigger than I thought. Yeah. So much bigger,
1: Lord.
0: Yeah. I believe, but help oh my unbelief. You understand. underneath. You understand me. You understand me. You understand me, God. You understand. So I throw, so I throw all my cares before you. My doubts and fears don't scare you. You'll be downs and fears don't scare you. You're bigger than I thought you were. You're bigger than I thought. To so I stop all negotiations with the God of all creation.
2: it up for our worship team every Sunday. Such an incredible job. Thank you guys so much. Well, y'all can grab a seat. Grab a seat. First service, they didn't even wait for me to say that. They just sat down immediately. Uh, my name is Randall. I get to share a tithe message with you this morning and then some announcements after that. And today's tithe message, I kind of wanted to go back. Um, so I've been very blessed. I've been working with the same company for 17 years a little company called Chick-fil-A down the road, uh, and when I started with them, I started as a team member, and I made $5.15 an hour, and I loved it. I was 14, so I didn't even know, and then I worked there for two years, and I got my first raise, so then I made $5.25 an hour, which, if you're not math people, is 10 cents. Pretty, pretty aggressive, I know, um, but as I've grown with the company, luckily, my earnings have increased as well. And it started some questions with me. I'm very lucky. My dad, he's a pastor now. He wasn't when we were growing up, but he's always been a big part of the churches we've been a part of. So I was lucky to have somebody that I could kind of talk to about that. You know, as my money and the the earnings I've had have increased, you know, I, I struggled a little bit with how to be financially responsible and Am I, is it okay that I like wanna earn more money and things like this? And so maybe this message will hit home for some, some younger folks or maybe somebody who's, you know, starting out in a new career or something. But my dad always said, Randall, it's absolutely fine. If you wanna earn as much money as possible, that is an okay thing. As long as you're checking your heart and you're remembering too, that you have to save as much money as possible and you have to give as much money as possible. So those are three things that kind of contradict themselves, right? You earn as much as you can, but you have to save as much as you can, and you have to give as much as you can all at the same time. But I think the underlying message of what he was trying to say was that money, like almost anything in our lives, can either be the most important thing or it can be a tool to support the most important thing. And that's our relationship with Jesus. That's the the impact of the church in our local community. So what he was trying to tell me was it's fine to, to move up and it's fine to increase my income and all these different you know, components financially, but I've got to remember what needs to stay the most important thing needs to stay the most important thing. And so as my income has increased, we've tried to continuously increase our giving as well. Um, and so if you're, you're younger, you're starting in a job, um, maybe you're, you're wondering, what does that look like? And I think the lesson I took away from it was I've got to figure out how to prioritize my financial life so that it is indicative of the relationship I want to have with Jesus. And I think if you're doing that, then you're in a good place. You're in a right place um, with God because you know, a beautiful house can be the most important thing in your life or it can be something to support a beautiful family and friends and relationships that turn into lifelong partnerships, um, just like your income could do, right? A beautiful car or a new car for your family. It could be the most important thing, or it could be the thing that gets you to all the soccer practices and the youth group and the service opportunities for your family. So this morning as the ushers come forward, I just wanna challenge you to think about just today, are you earning what you can and giving what you can and saving what you can all at the same time, which doesn't make any sense, but we're from the South, so we don't make any sense, it's perfect. (laughs) Uh, but we'll say a quick blessing over the offering. You can give three ways, avjourney.com. You can text give to the mobile number there, or you can give in the buckets here as they go around. So bow your heads with me. Dear Lord, thank you for today. Thank you for a beautiful Sunday that we're able to enjoy together. And I would just ask that you would put your hand on somebody's heart and really challenge them to see are they living in a way that prioritizes you? Are they living in a way that prioritizes the work that you're doing here in the Antelope Valley? That you might bless the tithe we're collecting today, that Journey would use it well to have impact, to spread your word, and to further your kingdom here locally. It's in your name we pray. Amen. All right, well, I also have announcements for you, and admittedly, I'm cheating today. I usually don't read them off my phone, but sorry. And part of that is because the first announcement, the best announcement, is I am a new dad. So... You can see little her name is Joe Adair that's after my wife's grandparents and my great-grandparents um, so little Joe there she's exactly a month old today we're very very proud and because of her I don't get to practice doing announcements like I normally would and so I'll read them to you instead um, but hey if you're new to Journey Church welcome we're really excited that you're here uh, we're thrilled that you chose to join us today you're you're in for a treat it's a unique Sunday our pastoral staff is all out on vacation at the same time. And so today we have a guest speaker. If you guys look under your seats, if you have a pink slip, you're actually preaching today. I'm just kidding. Just kidding. You don't have to preach today. Uh, but we do have Robert. He's gonna be sharing our message today in just a little bit. But a few things you might wanna know about. Out these back doors and to the right is an area called the hot Spot. It's like an information hub. So if you're interested in anything I have to say or you just wanna get connected, head out there and go to your right. Second thing is we have a cry room in the back left corner. If you have a young one uh, and they get fussy, you can head into the cry room, you can still hear us and see us, but it'll give you some privacy if that's what you're looking for, okay? Uh, Second thing, fifth and sixth graders, goodbye. Thank you for joining us. You are dismissed out to the main lobby. Go meet your group leaders and we will see you after service. Next, the crash is coming back. Who's excited about the crash? So we're gonna do a couple kickoff weeks for the crash. It's gonna be at uh, Sergeant Owen Memorial Park. It's this Wednesday, so in three days, uh, from 6:30 to 8:30. So if you don't know, the crash is for seventh through twelfth graders. And if you want to follow them on Instagram to stay connected, I believe it's Av or the Crash Av. Is that right? The Crash Av. I'm really good at Instagram, so I know things like that. Uh, But it is coming back. It's a phenomenal group, y'all. If you know any 7th through 12th graders, get them connected to this thing. There's over a 100 kids that show up at this thing every single week. It's an amazing thing that Journey's doing. Uh, Brings your young adults into relationship with other young adults who are pursuing Christ, which is incredible. So, bring them out if you can, this week on Wednesday. next. On Sunday, more celebration of our young adults, we're having promotion Sunday. So this is when a J kid is going from sixth grade into the seventh grade and kind of joining the crash ranks, I believe. Um, So we're gonna be celebrating them at the main service. So all you have to do is show up like you did today. That's it, and you'll be a part of it. So hopefully we'll see you guys next week for a really exciting Sunday after that we have our connect nights coming back are y'all excited about connection kind of i understand well we're doing a weekly connect night that's going to be starting on wednesday september the 4th it's for the whole family so if you have really young ones like j kids age miss Brienne, our j kids leader is going to have a water night full of activities and games with them Everyone else is going to be able to take part in a little uh, meet and greet where you get a chance to build some relationships with some of the folks that you're sitting here in rows with. So it's something that I've really cherished. I've developed a lot of my relationships here at Journey by showing up to one of these things knowing nobody. So if you're out there, you can do it too. I believe in you. And I would love to see you there. We'll be there for sure. And then lastly, we have a women's retreat coming up October 4th through the 6th. It's going to be a weekend for you to get away, spend some time with other women in the church. It's going to be $260 in total. We just ask you to pay a $100 deposit before September 1st if you would like to go to hold your spot. So that's all I have for you today. If you have questions about any of that, again, out the back doors to the right to the hot spot. Other than that, stand up, say hello to somebody around you as we get ready for today's service.
3: morning journey. Unfortunately, I was the one with the pink slip underneath my chair. <sighs> well, luckily, I had a folder with me. Just happened to have a sermon in it, so that worked out. Uh, please do not adjust your TV sets. I am not Pastor Dave, and again, I am not Pastor Tyler, uh, but I'm here to preach to you guys this morning. Uh, they're on vacation uh, with a well-deserved week off. Uh, they're off at, I believe, Shaver Lake, just having a good time up there. Uh, now, I want to apologize. I feel like really overdressed today. I don't know if you've been coming here for a while, uh, but with what Dave and Tyler normally wear, I feel like I kind of dressed up too much. Um, but unfortunately, my wife took the skinny jeans to the cleaners this weekend. <laughs> so unfortunately, this is all I left in my, in my closet and afterwards. <laughs> Stupid joke, I know. Well again, my name is Robert Norris. Um, my family and I, we've been coming here for about uh, a little over seven years. I've uh, been married to my beautiful wife, Alicia, for almost 18 years now. Uh, we have two boys, uh, Gavin, who is uh, starting high school this year, which is crazy. If you have kids, man, that time goes by way too fast, uh, and Jared, who is starting uh, middle school uh, this year. Um, I currently am a, I'm a math teacher at Lancaster High School, and uh, this was actually our first week, and if you're a teacher or work in the education field, uh, isn't the first week the longest week of the year? Oh my goodness, getting on a new sleep schedule, uh, they changed four of my classes in the first week, so that was pretty exciting. Um, by the way, I just want to give a quick shout out to uh, the teacher. If, you were, uh, if you're a teacher, you work in the education field, will you raise your hand real quick and can we give them a round of applause? It is a, it is a tireless and thankless job, I'm telling you. No one, no one comes by, none of your students come by and just say, hey, thanks. <laughs> thanks for what you do, you know? Um, but it, uh, it's amazing to know that there are Christian people who love the Lord who are out in that public education system um, and preaching uh, Christ there in any way that they can. Um, I also want you to know I love mission trips. Um, I've been able to go to Romania about six times uh, two years ago with Journey Church, and it's such a fun time. We get to work at this uh, summer camp and we lead the morning devotions, or we uh, get to lead the games, or we uh, we tend to a group. Uh, but it's such an amazing time to to worship the Lord with the people of Rhesita, Romania. Um, and Lord willing, we're actually wanting to go back next summer. So if you're interested in going with us or uh, would you like to support us in any way, please either talk to me after the service today or in a few months, hopefully we'll be making uh, some more announcements. Uh, But I don't know if you know this, uh, we actually support four missionaries around the world. Uh, Our goal here at Journey is to make a difference in the Yellow Valley, and I believe that we do. Uh, There's a lot of things that we are involved with to reach people for Christ. But we also know our mandate is to go into all the world and preach the gospel. And so we are again have four missionaries. I believe we're going to be adding another one soon. Uh, And it's just so good to see the passion in the heart of this church. I also want to give out a shout out to the volunteers. Uh, again, will you raise your hand if you volunteer in any way at this church? Children's Ministries, around the world, again, a round of applause for them as well. Uh, one of the reasons we decided to come to Journey Church again over seven years ago is when we walked into this property, the first thing we had was a high school student shake our hand and welcome us to the church. And then we came inside the building, and another high school student welcomed us and shook our hand and said, Welcome to Journey Church. And then we saw all the things that people were doing around, around the church to serve every single week. And we thought, this is the place where we want to be. This is home. Uh, in fact, before the first service this morning, I was standing over there, and I was nervous, and I was sweating, and I was just like, I've not preached in a long time. And so I didn't know what I was going to do. I mean, I prepared something. But a gentleman named Josiah, a young person, came over and says, hey, are you doing all right? I'm like, no, no, I'm not. Like, you know, like, feel my hand. You know, I'm shaking. He goes, can I pray over you? Okay. And this is another reason I love Journey Church. I mean, this happens all the time. That's not just this odd thing that happens here. This happens all the time. So thank you guys for making us feel home here. Um, Before this, I was actually a youth pastor for about 15 years. I oversaw the middle school group, mostly 12 to 14 year olds. Uh, And that brings us good news, and that brings us bad news. Uh, The good news is my sermons were always about 10 minutes long. Because I knew that I was not going to preach for 45 minutes to a bunch of junior high kids, and they were not going to listen the entire time. So I really had 10 minutes to tell a funny story, say a Bible verse, say something witty, and then we were out, okay? So if you have something to do after church, if you have an appointment to get to, if you want to get to the, you'll see the big game, or you just want to get to lunch early, you came on the right week, folks. This, this is the week to come. Now, we have some bad news, though, too. Uh, Unfortunately, every sermon I preached was to 12 to 14-year-olds. So my humor, my stories, my illustrations was to make a 12 to 14-year-old laugh. Now, I did my best these last few weeks to kind of raise the bar, okay, to put it on adult level, but I apologize if I didn't quite make it. Now, if you weren't here for the last two weeks let me get uh, let me catch you guys up uh, we've been talking about elisha and he was the protege of the prophet elijah now elijah was the one if you know the story where he was in a contest with the prophets of baal they had a contest to see who was the true god the god of the israelites or the god of baal and so what they did is they both built altars to the lord and they said this is the contest whoever's god whoever's god comes and brings fire onto these altars that is the true god and so Elijah let them go first. He said, go ahead. And they, they prayed and they worshiped and they begged for hours and hours and hours for their God to bring fire and nothing was happening to the point where Elijah even made fun of him. Maybe he's, on, you know, at an appointment. Maybe he's in the bathroom. Maybe he's gone. And then Elijah said, okay, my turn. And he prays to God and not a moment later, fire comes from the sky and lights up the altar. <laughs> How cool would that be? You have the power to summon fire from God, fire from heaven. How cool would that have been to see Elijah was also one of the few people who never died. Uh, the few people who actually never died and was buried. You see what happened when it was his time to go, a chariot of fire with horses of fire came and picked him up and took him to heaven. Now I don't know about you, but that's the way I wanna go. Now, not anytime soon, okay, I'm not saying tomorrow, but just 50 years from now, like maybe after service here at Journey, everyone goes outside and everyone's having a good time and there's this chariot of fire. And I say, hey guys, it's been real, it's been fun. I'll catch you guys later, and I just go in and fly out. Like, that's the way I want to go. That's, that's the way. But Elisha had an amazing mentor in Elijah. It would be like you want to work on your basketball skills, and so you get a person to mentor you in basketball, and LeBron James comes. Or you're struggling in math, and your, ma- uh, your parents hire a math tutor, and Albert Einstein shows up at your door. Or maybe you want to be a pastor or a missionary, and Billy Graham personally takes you to the side to mentor you. What an amazing mentor he had. But I want to remind you of a story that Pastor Dave told last week. Uh, it was when Elisha was a little bit older, and uh, he had lost all his hair, and he had a bunch of young people, like, make fun of him for it, right? And it was so bad that, that Elisha got so bad that he called two bears to chase after these children. And God said, hey, be warned, God protects bald men of God. <laughs> do we know where this is going. All right. So if you don't like the sermon this morning, if you think it's a little boring, if you're missing Pastor Dave a little bit, I just want to remind you that God protects bald men of God. <laughs> just saying, just saying. Well, as we get started this morning, I have to confess something to you. Um, it's actually a story I've literally never told my parents who are actually here today or my wife. Or my children, so they're going to be a little shocked right now. Um, When I was in the eighth grade, uh, our church had bought this property, and they were building a new building on it. And so they had set up a tent to have church services in. So our youth group would use this tent also during the week. And one of these youth services, we were playing a game, and I got picked to play. And what it was is they took us eighth graders, and they blindfolded us. And then they would give us a a high school student to partner with in this game. And what they had done is they had set up an obstacle course uh, inside of this tent. And so what the uh, high school student had to do is they had to yell at instructions like, left, right, under, over to get us through this obstacle course because we were blindfolded. But the problem was there was about 15 students going at the same time, which meant there were 15 people yelling directions. So you had to listen to the voice of the person that you were partnered with to make sure you got through the obstacle course. Now, when they put the blindfold on me, somehow I could still see through the blindfold. Now, I was the goody-two-shoe kid, you know, the one that would pick up a dime and try to find its owner, you know, like that kind of a kid. So, but for some reason, I decided I'm not going to share it with anybody that I can see. I don't know what got into me. I said, I'm just going to let this be a secret. So we started the race, and I didn't even listen to my partner. What was the point? I knew where I was going. So I zigzagged through that maze, and I won by a landslide. I was so excited. I mean, I was the kid that never won anything, right? I got cut from the basketball team and cut from the baseball team. and I was the kid that just never won anything. So I was so excited. My partner was jazzed. He was so excited because he thought he gave the best directions in the world. And so he puts his hand up to give me a big high five. And I'm so excited, I finally won something. So I give him the biggest high five that I could give him. And it was at that point, something felt wrong. Have you ever been there? Just there's a situation that you can't put your finger on it, but it just doesn't seem right. I just was a little confused, felt a little wrong. And then I realized I still had my blindfold on. I had given him a high five, but how would I have seen his hand if I was still blindfolded? (laughs) Yeah. So needless to say, I didn't win that contest, and I was a little embarrassed. Now, when a pastor comes up and he shares a somewhat amusing story, you know it's going to tie into the sermon somehow, right? Nothing happens to a pastor that he can't use in a sermon illustration. Now, if you were to go in the middle of the night and stub your toe, you just stub your toe. But when a pastor stubs his toe in the middle of the night, it reminds him of his favorite Bible verse <laughs> or something he can share that Sunday in his sermon. And this is no different. Now, we're going to be talking about Elisha and the faith of two women because God asks us to do extraordinary things. He says, you know what? I need you to put that on this blindfold. And even though you can't see, just follow my voice listen to my directions i will lead you and sometimes we follow sometimes we do a great job but sometimes we want to sneak a peek we want to look through that blindfold we want to know where we're going before we agree to go there but this morning we're going to see two women who completely put their faith in god so the first story comes from second kings chapter four it's going to be on the screen for you but if you want to follow in your bibles or your bible app whatever you use or just listen to me but again it should be on the screen It says, the wife of a man from the company of the prophets cried out to Elisha, your servant, my husband, is dead, and you know that he revered the Lord. But now his creditor is coming to take my two boys as a slave. Elisha replied to her, how can I help you? Tell me, what do you have in your house? Your servant has nothing at all, she said, except a small jar jar of olive oil. Elisha said, go around and ask all your neighbors for empty jars. Don't just ask for a few. Then go inside and shut the door behind you and your sons pour oil into all the jars and as each just failed, put it to one side. She left him and shut the door behind her and her sons. They brought the jars to her and she kept pouring. And when all the jars were full, she said to her son, bring me another one. But he replied, there is not a jar left. And then the oil stopped flowing. She went and told the man of God and he said, go sell the oil and pay your debts. You and your sons can live on what is left. Now as you read this, I know what you're thinking. Wow, what an amazing story. I mean, that just changed my life, right? I mean, the first time I read this, I went, I'm supposed to preach on this? Thank you, Pastor Dave. I mean, this is not exactly a story you're used to preaching on. But as I reread it, and I looked at some commentary, I did get a few things that I want to share with you this morning. The first thing is that even though this family was faithful to God, they were still poor. You see, the husband, he followed Elisha; He was one of his servants. And this woman, as we see in the story, had great faith in God. But yet, the only material possession that they owned when he died was a little oil. Because sometimes we confuse material possessions with God's favor. But as I look at the Bible, and as I look at the real world, I see Christians who are rich, and I see Christians who are poor. You see, being poor is not necessarily a sign of God's judgment, and being rich is not necessarily a sign of God's favor. And I don't know exactly how it works. I can't tell you this is how you're rich and this is how you're poor. But all we know is this family was chosen to be poor. So poor, in fact, that as soon as the husband died, the collectors were already at their doorstep asking for their money. And in those days, it was actually customary to imprison people and their children until a debt was paid off. So you can see that this woman was concerned about her fate and the fate of her children. But her first instinct was not to panic. She didn't get mad. She didn't blame God for her situation. She sought God's advice through the prophet Elisha. And Elisha asked her to do something crazy. He says, I want you to go and collect empty jars. Now again, that might not mean a lot to us in 2019, right? Go collect some jars. What's the big deal? But in that time, it would have been humiliating for her to do that. She would have to go door to door to door and talk to all the people that she knew asking for these jars. She would have to admit that she was struggling, that she was poor. Her neighbors might ask you, well, why do you you need this? Hasn't God provided for you? I thought he provided for the people who love him. Uh, They might need the jars. They might have a need of it and cannot give it to her. They might judge her. They might say that her poverty is God's wrath on her life. But Elisha forced her to do this, to demonstrate her faith in God. Because only God was going to be able to help her. A few weeks ago, if you were here, I gave the giving message. And I talked a little bit about when I was a kid, and I would listen to the people uh, do the message that you just heard a few minutes ago. And at the time, they would tell stories that I, I just couldn't believe. They would be new Christians, and one of the biggest things they struggled with was tithing, giving 10% of your income back to God. And then would say, it was really hard to, to do that. And they said, finally, I decided I'm going to do it. And even though they would have, you know, rent due the next week or a big bill to pay, they said, no, I'm going to give God the first 10%. And they wouldn't know what to do because, again, they would have rent due in a week and they wouldn't have the money. And they would share stories about how they would get, like, a random check in the mail for the exact amount that they needed. Or they would get an unexpected raise or a bonus at work. And I remember seeing there as a kid going, no there's no way. That's not how God works. How did he know five days in advance that they were going to tithe and put that check in the mail and get it to them? There's no way God can do it that way. But then I said, there's not a way that they're all lying. There's no way that they could uh, all be telling a lie. And then I looked back at my life and I thought, you know what? God does provide for me. He does provide in ways that if I shared it with you, you probably wouldn't understand or, or believe. But God sometimes just blesses us. But like the woman in our story, sometimes we need to go out there and show our faith so that we trust God that he'll provide. Uh, about eight years ago, I lost my job. Uh, and for the first 24 hours, I'm gonna be honest, I was a hot mess. I was crying, I was whimpering, I didn't know what to do. You know, why God are you doing this to me? You know, that whole thing. And about 24 hours later, I said, you know what? What have my parents always taught me? That God provides. And what did my grandparents always teach me? That God would provide. And so I said, okay, God, I know you're gonna provide, but you know what I didn't do? I didn't sit on my couch and wait for the Lord to provide. I didn't say, okay, God, if you're going to give me a new job, I'm just going to sit on the couch and I'm just going to get an amazing phone call. Someone's going to call me out of the blue and says, hey, Robert, I don't know you, but we want to work for our company. Now, maybe that's the way God works in your life, but I didn't think it was going to work that way in my life. So what I did is I updated my resume, made about 100 copies, and I went out and drove around the entire Palmdale, Lancaster area. I put 60 miles on my car, and I never left this area, right? Because I went door to door talking to companies about a job. And it, it was embarrassing. It was a little awkward at first. You know, some of them said, we don't, we're not offering any jobs, or you're not the right person for the job. Or I would push my resume over, and they would push it back, and I would push it back over. And <laughs> We sent this little thing. And I said, just, just hold on to it, just in case, right? Now, I didn't know what, God, uh, what job I was going to get. And I didn't know how long it was going to take. All I knew was God was going to provide. And God eventually did. About a year later, I got the teaching job that I have now. And maybe you're in that same situation. Maybe it's a job or a new job. And you're sitting there waiting for God to provide. You're just, okay, God, if you're going to do it, just show up and do it. And maybe God works that way. But maybe he wants you to do something about it. Maybe he wants you to talk to people or ask your boss for a raise or a new position or new responsibilities. Maybe you need to get training or attain a new skill. I tell all my students all the time at Lancaster High School, I said, listen, you may not be good at math, you may not be good at science or whatever, but you need to find something you are good at because no one's going to hire you because they like you. They're going to hire you because you offer a skill to that business. And so get that skill, get that passion and find businesses that, have that, that need that skill. Or maybe you, you're trying to find that special someone and you're waiting for the Lord to provide. You're sitting there on the couch and you're waiting for the doorbell to ring and the person says, Hey, I'm the one. I finally got here. Has anyone ever met someone that way? I'm just curious. Anyone just someone just showed up at your doors? No. Okay. So maybe we need to go to do something about it. Maybe you need to log on to farmersonly.com. Make a profile. Swipe left. Swipe right. Which everyone it is. And maybe you need to meet someone, no, no. Unless you're a farmer, please do not go to that website. But maybe you need to find someone who loves the Lord. Maybe you need to watch their life for a little bit and see someone who truly believes in Jesus and wants to live for him and get to know them as a friend. And listen, I don't know how it's going to work in your life. I don't know what it looks like for you personally. But all I know is God has not called us to have a wimpy faith, but a strong faith. I think all the time about Peter. Uh, When he walked on the water, if you've been coming to church for a while, you kind of know that story the disciples are in a boat, and the storm comes, and they're all afraid, and all of a sudden, there's Jesus walking on the water, right? And all of a sudden, Peter, he gets up the courage to to try to walk over to Jesus. Now, here's what Jesus did not say. Hey, hey, listen, Peter, everything's going to be okay. Don't worry about it. Here's what you're going to do. You're going to step right there, and then you're going to step right there, and then you see that rock right over there, and then that log over there. Just follow those steps, and everything's going to be great. You're going to reach me. That's not what he said. He said, don't be afraid. Come. That was it don't be afraid, come. And so Peter starts walking on water, something that no regular human being has ever done in the history of mankind. But a little bit later, what happens? He starts losing his faith, right? He sinks, and Jesus scolds him for his lack of faith. But to be honest, I I kind of always felt bad for Peter because at least he got out of the boat, right? What did all the other 11 disciples do? They sat there and were afraid. It's the same thing for Indiana Jones. Do we have any Indiana Jones fans in the house this morning? Thank you for the one person making noise what 20 hands and yeah, i'm a fan now i don't know if you guys know this but in the summer of 2021 did you guys know that they're making another indiana jones movie i'm not it's not even a joke this is serious they're making another indiana jones movie and it's going to star now 77 year old harrison ford that's what his age now now i'm in the now he's 77 in fact he is so old that they're thinking about naming the movie indiana jones and the adventures in the nursing home but again, that's just a rumor. I don't know, it's just the working title. I, I, I don't know how the business works. But in one of the original trilogies, he's in search of the Holy Grail, the supposed the cup that Jesus drank out of at the Last Supper. And he's put through a series of tests, some of them mental, some of them physical, and he passes them all and he gets to the final one. And what he has to do is he's about a thousand feet up there on this mountainside, and he has to get to the mountain on the other side a thousand feet up, but there's nothing connecting them. That's it, just mountain here, mountain way over there, we're a thousand feet up now you have to go across. There's not a single bridge, nothing in sight. And so he's nervous, right? Because his father's dying. He needs to get to this cup because it'll help heal his father. But what is he supposed to do? So he gets out his little paperwork, right? And he realizes that he's actually gonna have to walk across this aisleway, even though there's nothing there. Now, Indiana Jones is described as someone who is not religious, doesn't believe in God. He has to see to believe. But what he has to do is he has to cross this bridge to save his father's life. And so he debates it for a long time, and what does he do? He finally says, okay, I guess I got to go for it. So he gets up right to the edge, and he takes that first step, and what happens? He falls a 1,000 feet to his death, right? No, what happens? A bridge appears, right, out of nowhere. But he had to take the first step. The bridge was not going to appear until he put his faith that it was going to be there, even though he couldn't see it. And this woman, she didn't understand either. She didn't understand why she had to go and get these jars, but she did it. She had the faith. It was outside of her comfort zone, but she knew she had to do it for God. So what happens next? It says all the jars are filled. Elisha says, sell the oil, pay the debts, and keep the rest of the money. Now, the Bible is very clear. She did not get rich off of this. She wasn't a millionaire after it, but she had enough to meet her needs, to pay off her debt and have money to live day to day. It reminds me of the proverb that says this. Two things I ask you, Lord, do not refuse me before I die. Keep falsehood and lies far from me. Give me neither poverty nor riches, but give only my daily bread. Otherwise I might have too much and disown you, and say, Who is the Lord? Or I may become poor and steal, and so dishonor the name of my God." So she got her daily bread. Now I want to tell you about a second woman of faith. Well, we're not going to read the story, but this actually comes immediately after the verses that we just read. In this story, the Bible says the husband and wife were actually rich. And it's interesting to think that the Bible makes sure that we know that the first one was poor, but the second one had financial resources. And even though they had financial resources, they lived in a pretty modest home. And this family would always invite Elisha to eat with him whenever he was in town. But eventually, that wasn't good enough for them. They wanted to bless him more. God had blessed them financially, so they wanted to bless God's servant even more. So what they decided to do is to build an extra room for Elisha so that he could uh, spend the night when he passed through. Because what had happened was they would have a meal with him, but then he had no place to stay. So he would have to travel a few more hours to the next town before he could sleep at night. So they decided, well, why don't we build him a room at our house so that he could spend the night and not have to journey so far. Now, Elisha, he is so touched by this, so touched, that he wants to do something in return for this family. He wants to bless them in any way he can. And so he goes up to him and says, listen, I can give you anything you want. I can talk to the king, to the generals, any possession that you want to have, anything you want is yours. What is it that you want?" And the woman's response was this. I have food in my belly, clothes on my back, and a roof over my head. I'm blessed already. Wow. I mean, what a response, right? I'm good. I'm blessed. Now, if you had asked me that question, and you come to me after church and say, listen, Robert, anything I can do for you? (laughs) I got a list. I wrote it down in case you knew. I'd like to have my car washed. That would be great. Uh, my house needs a painting. I would love for you to come over and do that. Uh, love Chick-fil-A. Who's the guy that did the announcements? I just, was the, love Chick-fil-A. Hey, by the way, cash always works. But Elisha, he's still bothered, right? He wants to help this family, but he's still bothered. And so he goes to his servant and says, do you have any ideas? How can we bless this family? What is it that we can do to bless them? And his servant says, well, I don't know if you know this, but uh, they're old and they've never had any children. Now, did you catch that? Probably the biggest desire of their hearts would have been to have children. And yet, when they could have anything they want, they say, no, no, we're blessed. You see, in those times, there was a stigma with barrenness. Uh, if you weren't able to have children, there, there was almost like it was something wrong with you. Now, back in those days, uh, if you were to ask, you know, how many children do you have? And they say 12, they would say, only 12? That's it? You stop that 12? What would happen today? If we said, how many children do you have? And they said 12, what would you say? <laughs> like, Whoa wow how do you remember their names <laughs> their birthdays you know johnny no you're not johnny no you know like how do you remember people's names but back then uh children were a sign of favor from the lord so the more children you had, the more the f- uh, favor that you had from the lord but elijah says this he goes i promise you one year from the day you will have a child and it came true one year to that day they were holding a baby boy in their arms now you would think that this is where the story ends this is great this this couple who had financial resources they blessed god's servants And they got the desire of their heart, their child. So you think, end of story, wonderful. But unfortunately, a few years later, that boy is out in the field playing. His father's working in the field. He's playing some games. And he gets a a large headache. And so they rush him into the house. And the Bible says that by noon that day, the boy died in his mother's arms. Now, as a parent, I think it must have been devastating. Here, you wait all your life to have a child. And God finally says, in your old age, you will have a child. And a few years later, he takes that child from you. And what was the point? I don't understand why. I even read the commentary. I don't understand why God would do that. But as you will see by the end of the story, that's not even what's important. It's what the woman does next that's the most important. She takes her son and she lies him on Elisha's bed. Takes that, that new thing that they, uh, they built to put the child on the bed. Now, you might think that's not important. But in that time, it was very important because when someone died back then, they had to bury them right away. They didn't have the technology to to do the things we do today. So pretty much within 24 hours, that body was going to smell and it was just going to be gross. And so what they would do is they would immediately prepare a body for burial. But by taking the son and putting him on Elisha's bed, this woman was saying, he is not going to die. He's going to be resurrected. I believe in God because God promised me a son and God does not go back on his promises. So the woman sets out to go meet Elisha. He was in another town at the time. And as she's going near, the servant runs out because uh, he sees her and says, no, this is not good. If, if she's here, this is not good. And so he runs out and says, are you okay? Is your husband okay? Is your son okay? Now you would have thought she would have said, my son has died. This is terrible. It's, something crazy has happened. But she doesn't say that. She says, everything's okay. Everything's okay? Why would she say that? But I have a feeling we do this at church sometimes, do we not? our marriage is in disarray, our finances are terrible, there's a sickness in the family, and someone comes up to us in church and says, hey, how you doing? And what do we say? Everything's okay. And we put that fake smile on. <laughs> right? Everything's okay. But everything wasn't okay. So she finally falls to his feet crying. She still hasn't said what's going on, but she just falls to his feet and cries. And Elijah says, she is in bitter distress, but the Lord has hidden it from me and has not told me why. Now, this is a powerful verse because back in those days, the prophets had a literal direct connection with God. God would almost speak to them verbally. So for God not to tell Elisha what was going on must have been very strange. But eventually, the woman finally confesses, yes, my son has died. Will you please come back and help raise my son from the dead? But here's the thing. She believed that it would happen the entire time. There is not one verse in that passage that indicates that this woman ever lacked faith that this would happen. So Elisha comes back. He clears everybody out of the room and says, I'm going to pray over this boy. And he prays over the boy for some hours, and eventually the boy is brought back to life. And now we have the happy ending we were always wanting. But real quickly, I want to share with you three things that we can learn from this story. Number one, money does not solve all problems. Money does not solve all problems. Can I get an amen on that one, by the way? Thank you. I'm sorry. I grew up in an old school church, and then we did this all the time, and we had to shout at him in like 74 times, and I just kind of got used to that. So money does not solve all problems. Again, the Bible indicates that the first one was poor, but that the second one was rich, and we assume the rich have everything they want, right? If you have money, you can buy pretty much everything, including happiness, and we see in the story that's not true. This, this couple did not have a child, but yet today we still envy the people of Hollywood, We look at their lives and go, man, I want that life, right? And that's why we buy that magazine. You know, we're checking out, buying a couple gallons of milk, and there's that magazine, and we buy it, right? Because we want to be like these people. If I just had the money that they do, I would be happy. If I just had the husband and wife that they have, I would be happy. If I just had the fame they had, I would be happy. But then we look at the divorces and the scandals, the bankruptcies and the suicides of the people in Hollywood, and we realize money doesn't buy happiness. Now, some of the younger people might not understand this illustration, but for some of my older folk out here, do you remember uh, a few years ago when the actor Tom Cruise was on the Oprah show? Does anybody remember this incident? Uh, he famously came on her show, this was probably about 15 years ago, and he jumped up on her couch in excitement. you guys remember that? Because he was in love. He had found the one, the true love of his life. Now, who was that? This is the interactive part of our program. Uh, who, who was it? Does anybody know? Katie Holmes, that's right. The love of his life, Katie Holmes. Now, of course, if you've ever followed the career of Tom Cruise, you realize he had a lot of the ones before Katie Holmes. And if you have an extra minute, I would like to read that list for you. Diane Cox, Melissa Gilbert, Heather Locklear, Rebecca DeMornay, Cher. (laughs) Did you know that? I missed the vote on that. Cher, Tom Cruise, okay. Patty Schialfa, Penelope Cruz, Nazanin Boniati, Sofia Vergara, those were all the ones before he met the one Katie Holmes. Now, anyone know what happened six years later? He's no longer the one. <laughs> well, I don't know what happened. And by the way, if you ever need a good laugh, uh, go to uh, YouTube and look up this uh, video of uh, Tom Cruise Nobra. You will never laugh so hard in your life. It was an amazing, amazing clip. But all that to say, just because you are rich, handsome, and famous doesn't mean that you are happy. Number two, we need to put our faith in God. We need to put our faith in God. You see, this woman never wavered in her faith, not for one moment. She believed in the impossible. She believed that she would have a child in her own age. And when her son died, did she get mad at God? Did she get angry with God? No, she ran straight back to God. So I ask you a question, where do you put your faith, especially in the difficult times? Because it's easy to believe in God in the good times, but what about during the tough times? Do you believe in God or do you believe in yourself? And finally, always believe in miracles. Always believe in miracles. Um, I've had the privilege to meet with a bunch of missionaries over the years, and some to very dangerous places, including China and the Middle East. And they talk about these crazy miracles that happen, stuff that you would not believe if I shared it with you today. And one of the most common questions is, well, why don't we see this in America? That's really cool that you're in China and the Middle East and all these places, seeing these miraculous things. Why don't they happen here in our country? And they have two responses. And the first response is they do. These miracles do happen in our country. When someone is cured of cancer, that's a miracle. When a baby is born, that is a miracle. When a new medicine is discovered to cure a disease, that is a miracle. And we begin to think these are just common things, but in reality, they are miracles. But their second one is even more important. They say that in these cultures, they come to God expecting a miracle. See, we pray these wimpy prayers, right? Oh, dear God. Help me to pass my test this week. Help me to get over my sickness. And we pray these kind of wimpy prayers. But these people come expecting that God is going to do something in their life. Not just saying the words, but truly believing in their hearts that God is going to do something crazy. You see, we come on Sunday and we worship God and we say, we believe in miracles. And then on Monday, our car breaks down. God, oh, I hate my life. God, why are you doing this to me? And then we realize that half the world doesn't even own a car. And then we come on Sunday, and we worship, and we say, God, I believe in you. I believe in miracles. And then on Monday, we have a small financial hiccup, and we go, God, God why are you doing this to me? Oh, God, I hate my life. This is terrible. God, I know I don't tithe, but I put a solid 10 bucks in that offering plate this week. What happened? And that's our faith, right? And we do this week after week after week. So as the worship team uh, comes forward to, to close us out in a song, I want to give you guys some practical steps. Uh, When I was a youth pastor, one of the things I made all the kids do at the end of each sermon was to do something, okay? Because I knew that they were going to go home and not remember what I said, not remember the story after a few days or the Bible verse. So I gave them something to do. So I want to give you a little homework assignment for the week. What I want you to do is take out a piece of paper and a pen or pencil, and I want you to make two columns. On the left column, I want you to put something you're struggling in, something that you might not be trusting God fully in. Maybe it's your finances, I get a sickness. Or a relationship so again on the left hand side something that you're struggling in or haven't honestly put your uh, full trust in god in and on the right hand side i want you to put something that you can do to put your faith in god again sometimes god just shows up and blesses you and everything's great but sometimes he wants you to go out and do something to demonstrate that faith so the right hand side put something that you can do so for example if it's your finances maybe you could put start tithing or cancel cable or cut up the credit cards Uh, If it's a relationship, maybe you say, go to FarmersOnly.com or Or start being the person that I am looking for. Maybe that's what I want you to do. You're looking for someone who loves the Lord. Maybe you need to put yourself in that same position. Now, after you've made that list, here's what you're going to do. You're going to start believing in that miracle. You're going to get on your hands and knees and pray to God for this miracle. And no matter what happens, whether it works out perfectly for you, you get that raise, you get that person, whatever happens, good or bad, we're going to continue to have faith in God. Because ultimately, it's God's will that we are seeking, right, and not our own. I cannot tell you how many times in my life, especially when I was young, that I wanted something really bad. And I thank God that I did not get that. Because if I got what I wanted, I would not be standing before you today. Uh, In Hebrews chapter 11, there's something called the Hall of Faith. Now, most of you guys are familiar with the Hall of Fame, right, with sports, figures, or acting. But God actually took a chapter in the Bible to point out specific people over the history of time that had such faith in God, it had to be rewarded. It had to be shown to the entire world. And I'm not going to read the whole chapter for you, but I want to give you a few highlights. It says, By faith, Abel offered a, a God a better sacrifice than Cain did. By faith, Noah, when warned about things not yet seen, in holy fear, built an ark to save his family. By faith, Abraham, when called to go to a place where he would later receive as his inheritance, obeyed and went, even though he did not know where he was going. By faith, Isaac blessed Jacob and Esau in regard to their future. By faith, Jacob, when he was dying, blessed each of Joseph's sons and worshipped. By faith, Joseph, when his end was near, spoke about the exodus of the Israelites from Egypt. And by faith, Moses refused to be known as the son of Pharaoh's daughter and chose to be mistreated among his people. So if we were to make a modern version of this list, would you be on it? Is there something that you can look back in your life and say, yes, I truly trusted God. I put my faith in God that he would do a miracle in this situation. Is there a time in your life that you could point to and say, yes, this is where I trusted God. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for this morning and thank you for allowing me to, uh, to speak uh, this morning. God, I pray that we would have the faith, the faith that it takes to honor you in everything we do. God, may our prayers not be wimpy, but may they be prayers praying for a miracle. And God, may you come and show up in our lives. But ultimately, God, it is your will that we seek. No matter what it is, no matter what we do, may it all glorify you and your kingdom. We love you so much, Jesus. Amen.